You are now listening to Back to the Podcast with Robin Dave. We're going to entertain you with a quick review of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But first, our sponsors. Well, no, they're not sponsoring us. We're not getting sponsored. But we are going to entertain you with a quick round of Hollywood Shuffle. Is that not right, Dave? That is correct. And this time we're going to do something slightly different, something the game rules do not have you do. But we figured since we're just doing this the way we do it, we can do whatever we want. We are rebels. We are pioneers. Let us do this, Dave. (laughs) All right. So we're going to have a couple leads here today. We're going to start with two leads of our epic movie that we have no clue what it's going to be yet. So our first lead is a unlucky in love waitress. Nice. Okay. Classic staple. And our second lead is a pageant show queen. Wow. <laughs> All right. All right. You know, it seems this, like a real movie here. So It does. This could be Miss Congeniality. This could well, be... Our third lead. Okay. An eager young senator. Ooh. <laughs> this is... Oh, how eager for what is the question? <laughs> oh, so an unlucky in love waitress, a pageant show queen, and an eager young senator. And the action is... Oh, there's action in this one. Indulge in beer bashes and ill-advised hijinks. Well, honestly, with those two young ladies and the senator, <laughs> there's going to be ill, it's ill-advised <laughs> all the way. So, wow. okay, well, I guess if there's a movie that has Kevin James as the president, we can do this. Oh, my. Yeah, I'm referencing Pixels. Deal with it. And the twist is Do we on Mars. Oh. So we just made total recall, everybody. Oh. That's done. <laughs> well, let's see. Um, yeah, well, the on Mars, the beer bashes and ill-advised hijinks. Uh, it's a little more serious than that. Okay, so we need to title this. We need to cast it. We need to end this, right? Yeah, we could. Uh, let's see. Let's um, throw out the casting first. That's probably going to be the easiest thing to do. Eager young senator. So we could go, how about young Kevin Bacon? Hmm, that's a good one and would fit in well with, uh, it's believable with the, uh, the, the, the beer bashes and ill-advised yeah, hijinks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm going to uh, take some of the class out of this and, and, and hopefully punch up the humor. Tim Curry is the pageant queen. <laughs> I love Tim Curry, and there's not a lot of movies I don't want to see him in. But I was thinking, okay, we we can. I don't think he means queen in that way, but it works. It it, it will work. No, no, it'll work. But okay, fight. then we'll have the unlock, unlucky in love waitress Megan Fox. She doesn't yeah, need. She doesn't need okay, to carry yep, much. Yep. She's a target, a believable target for young Kevin Bacon. And the unlucky in love is going to give her enough cynicism and sass so that she that weary of the world look that she does would work. I wonder how these three meet. Well, the senator clearly is beer bashing. Yeah, hitting on the unlucky in love waitress. So and all this happens to go down at the uh, pageant show where they got some of these. Okay, I have an idea. This is going to be a little crazy. This is already crazy. So the party is at Tim Curry pageant show Queens. This is like RuPaul or something. Okay. So anyhow, at his house where he is known for having these bashes, young Kevin Bacon is a, is a brand new freshman Senator who has not been properly groomed against making mistakes and being in these kind of places. 
So we'll say that, we'll, we'll throw in a little entry. His rivals conspire to have him here, where he's young enough to think that, hey, this, this is going to be fun and not realizing all the trouble that's going to get him into. How's he going to meet the waitress? After he's been drinking and compromised with pictures and things, they end up dumping him at a diner where the unlucky in love waitress takes him in. We could kind of go with a trading places kind of stir in this. Oh, trading you know, places for the future. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, you know, he's a senator of Mars, <laughs> a Martian colony. Oh, dear. Um, the ill-advised hijinks. Well, this is going to be a comedy, so one way or the other, uh, Tim Curry, prom show queen, or pageant show queen, is outraged by these scoundrels. I'm still wrapping my head around Tim Curry, pageant show queen. Uh, scoundrels taking advantage of this nice young senator who showed up to her party. So she and the love interest, the, the waitress, work with the young senator who insists on doing it all himself because this is a comedy. He wouldn't just throw money at it to make it go away or, or, or have people do this. Uh, the hijinks come in on Home Alone style uh, hijinks to get the incrimination away from the bad guys. And in the end, there's a reveal of the rival senator who set it all up and set him up to fail and they beat him Mm. probably with tim curry doing something wacky like riding a wrecking ball into his car or something i'll title it fast times on mars (laughs) well that's 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 a good one that's a that's a good one yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty solid. I think we could go with that. All Don't right. know how that. I'm I'm pretty sure I know how that would do in the theaters, but you know we're not making high art here. It would be a cult classic. It would not make any money at first. You're, you're shooting for a cult classic, but it would do okay. It would do okay in okay. the long run. Rating. What's what's the rating we would be aiming for? Oh, the rating? Yes. Like PGR kind of thing? Yeah. What rating would be? This thing would be rated R. Oh, okay. So you're going for an R-rated comedy. R, R, huh? R, R, well, well, beer right there alone give, pretty much gives it the it's uh, still PG-13. PG, PG-13 at least to uh, R rating. But we got some of our pageant show queen stuff and the young senator, unlucky waitress. uh so do you go with enough nudity and swearing, trying to hook in some extra people to watch it? Tim Curry with three. Oh, God. Three. I just said three with with three people on my <laughs> side. Not, you, could, you could have said three llamas and you're not making this good. <laughs> Tim all right, Curry. well, that's a good exercise. I feel I feel like my brain is, is all revved up now. And we're going to go to... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark. My very first note for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Finally, a good movie again. After Police Academy 2, I needed us. Oh, that just basically says I got to do Police Academy 2 before I do this one. I, I needed this. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have faith in you, Dave. You will have it done by then. Uh, I'll tell you my first introduction to Indiana Jones, and I believe it was my stepdad when he recorded his shows, they would always be uh, three movies on one tape, maybe four. I don't know. I just, you know, three seemed to be the, the amount you could squeeze into a tape. I always loved Ghostbusters, and Ghostbusters would be on after Temple of Doom. So I remember to get to Ghostbusters, sometimes I had to fast forward through Temple of Doom, and in some cases, I would so actually So you saw watch. Temple of Doom before you saw Raiders of yes. Lost Ark? Yes, okay. yes. Interesting that, was, that was my... 
introduction to that. And I keep forgetting sometimes how much younger you are than me uh, because I lived through those times. Right. You know, no, I, I didn't get to Raiders until much, much later, really. Cause for some reason, my stepdad did not have Raiders of the Lost Ark at all. He had Temple of Doom. And then Last Crusade came out, and we had to wait for it to be on HBO before we could watch it. I don't know why, but whatever. We watched it on HBO. Indiana Jones is great. And it probably wasn't until like a couple years later, even after McDonald's or Burger King or whoever it was, you know, you get your value meal. You could get like any of the three movies for $10 or however much it was back then. He only got Raiders of the, or no, he got The Last Crusade. Didn't get Temple of Doom, didn't even bother with Raiders of the Lost Ark, but that was probably his love for Sean Connery. Yeah, I was going to say, Sean Connery, a big draw in, in The Last Crusade, if you were looking at them objectively without knowing the content of them, yeah, that would be a clear one to go after for most people. So I remember it was a Christmas that I, when my mom and he were divorced at that point in time, and then it was a Christmas, and that's when I started getting into movies. I wrote a whole list of movies I wanted from like Hunt from Red October to like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, all those. And those are the ones that I got. Uh, I remember getting Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I and, you know, I, ha- I probably have seen it maybe once before that, but not enough to really have it have an impact on my mind. But that was when I first saw Raiders of the Lost Ark it was probably somewhere around the Christmas of 1994, 95. And that's when I got to watch it in full for the first time. I thought it was a great movie. It was fun. I liked them. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was in my father's collection of uh, VHS tapes. Uh, at various times, I watched a lot of movies with him. Uh, that was one I do not remember watching with him, but it probably did. I, when I was young, I didn't really care for uh, blood and gore very much, and I was kind of turned off by the opening because there's a little bit of little bit of blood, a little bit of gore. Um, oh, when Doc Doc gets uh, stabbed with the uh... yeah, so that uh, that kind of turned me off in the movie at first, um, and of course the uh, the ending the resolution didn't uh, didn't really increase my love of the movie very much. It wasn't until I got back in college I think I ever saw it again. Um, and it hasn't been my, on my must see movie list, but I have seen it from time to time with other people. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's much better than police Academy two. I'll tell you that. Um, and, uh, you know, quite honestly, you know, 1982, uh, apparently a, a lot of people thought that because it won some Oscars, it won some awards. So yeah, we're going to review it now and, uh, go through it with you helping you relive, uh, that time. Uh, unless you have any other, any other fond memories, Dave? Uh, I believe before I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's when Super Nintendo also had their Indiana Jones trilogy game. Uh, from LucasArts, and that's where I remember playing as Indiana Jones, and the levels that represented Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think, were my favorite ones. Especially um, in, uh, was it Nepal? Is that where Marion was? I'll be quite honest, I never played the Indiana Jones video games until LEGO Indiana Jones. Uh, No, there was an an arcade game that I played once, too. It was okay. Uh, That was from Temple of Doom, and I remember one whole scene was you just going through caves and freeing kids, and the fight at the end with Thulsa Doom throwing flaming hearts at you, which was which was (laughs) weird. But uh, yeah, nothing to do with uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, um, no, I I, the movie. You know, it opens pretty clever, I think, with the whole like Paramount logo with 
it dissolving to the background and you got the mountains there mm-hmm. to to which is a tradition that will carry on through the rest of the Indiana Jones films and probably the future films and you know you get the mystery of the character of the you know following everybody from kind of like behind is it everyone's kind of walking you yes. cover them from behind you get this 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 mystery of who's this dude in a hat and he's acting you know very uh, acting authoritative well, he's he's definitely in charge of the expedition, and they work very hard to protect the first face shot by showing a lot of back profile shots. Um, and this this has been copied a number of times by other movies, mo- many of them parodies. Um, but yeah, you don't show Indy's face until a dramatic point where everyone is seizing up, and then he turns to react. And but until that, yeah, he was the leader clearly. And uh, you also got a sense that his uh, followers weren't very trustworthy. No, no. Um, the other thing that struck me watching the movie again was the the subtle music in the beginning was very... I think every piece of music from beginning to end of the film is perfect. So it, it, it fits in with everything that's going on. With a lot of the movies that we'll end up covering, uh, you know, a lot of them do incorporate a soundtrack to it. A lot of Indiana Jones movies are mostly notable because they are interwoven completely with music. Every dramatic sting, every soothing melody that leads you through, uh, and you know, a moment of character building, and in some cases, vulnerability for Indy, um, is very, very effective. And and really, you know, if you're looking to score movies, it's not all about the recognizable songs that you will be playing through the soundtrack. This is a way that people have been programmed over the years. How you feel has a lot to do with the music and and the developments through it. So this is certainly one of the finer examples of that. Yes. Yeah. So I have a great opening. I mean, not a lot of movies just can be that subtle, simple, and and just keep you like, like, well, what's going on here? Wow, this is fascinating. Yeah. Another nice thing, too. You keep the exoticness of the movie, which isn't going to be another hallmark of the Indiana Jones movies. You're in South America, the time period, 1936. They work very hard at protecting that with period-appropriate clothes and props and things like that. Got a tattered map as a prop. And Indiana Jones is not, and he's never billed as... As a huge macho action star. He's capable in a fist fight, but he's kept reasonable. He's kept somewhat vulnerable to the point that he's relatable. And you can root for him. Not like Rambo, or you might have some reservations because he's almost superhuman. He is smart. He uses his brains. He clearly knows what he's doing. And at the same time, he recognizes the dangers and acts like he's protecting himself. In defense of Rambo, I would say the first movie you could probably relate to him, but it was once they turned him into the character in the sequels when they went overboard with, you know, the... This is Sylvester Stallone type macho thing going on. That's fair. And when we dissect those movies too, that we're going to talk about the shortcomings of what they did to that character too. But in this case, Indiana Jones is protected fairly well from those excesses by sticking true to his character, which makes later movies, it preserves the quality and keeps it at a higher standard than a lot of sequels end up getting. Um, And that has its roots right here in the beginning of the first movie. Uh, he is seen as archly competent. He knows what he's doing. He can understand most of their languages. That, that comes back to bite him. Um, <laughs> when it comes to dealing with the situation, ooh, scary carved face that sends his guide scrambling. Okay, he acknowledges that. He expected it. He goes mm-hmm. on. He goes, then they go into the tomb, crypt, Cave. site. 
cave. Well, it's maybe? clearly not just a cave because it's been worked. Site. Let's say site. The site. Yeah. And there are traps now. Most of the technology of this place is is fairly primitive, as you kind of expect. The trap that Indiana Jones first comes to is very innovative, I think. I'm not sure how you would even pull it off with the technology placed in the hey, time period. If you watch Ancient Aliens, uh, therefore aliens. We're going to get back to aliens and Indiana Jones at some point in the next Those are tri- trans-dimensional beings. Uh, Anyhow, apparently they found a way to have a light beam trip wire with a very nice spear trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that worked out well and revealed that one of his, uh, his rivals had, pa- had passed away there. Then they come to probably one of the most iconic places in all the Indiana Jones movies, right in your opening establishing shot. The idol room. Indiana Jones, cool-headed archaeologist, surveys the scene before charging right in like his guide wants to. And he's like, nope, I something's up. He finds the, the poison arrow traps, mm-hmm. and he understands the peril that's in the place. So he shows himself as being competent. He also doesn't deal with it with superhero nonsense. It's by recognizing the trap and avoiding it, he makes his progress and establishes himself as a smart character. Yeah, I like that whole scene, too, where where he's got the... the... He's looking at the idol. He's got the sack thing. He's trying to like eyeball the weight so he can evenly just swap him out. And he's sweating. He's doing all the chin touching thing and empties the bag a little. And he does the quick, the quick exchange. And then he's like, ah, I got it. And then you start hearing the uh, mechanics of the uh, booby trap being set as he does that. Again, an uncannily accurate booby trap that that catches Indiana Jones uh, unaware. And all of a sudden, everything starts to crumble. It becomes a mad dash. Now he demonstrates that he is physically competent as he runs and stays ahead of the arrow traps that are all shooting off after him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they managed to make it back to the pit that they had swung over using the, the whip. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong. The whip is pretty much iconic for Indiana Jones. I'm not sure, but... The whip was always kind of before Indiana Jones, more of a tool than anything. It's for leading animals. He kind of transformed it into into a weapon cinematically. Was there anybody else who did? Zorro maybe before him? Oh, I think there was. Didn't Zorro use the sword? He used the sword primarily, but I think there might have been. Uh, <laughs> times in his background where he also used a whip. Um, I could be wrong. Maybe. Maybe even in these uh, uh, Antonio Banderas oral films, maybe the whip was there. But Well, that's then we're going after. But, but that's Indiana after Jones. Indiana Jones. Uh, but as far as, like, I don't recall him really using the whip in the beginning per se as a weapon. Wait, he did whip away someone's gun. He does? But, um... Well, see, the, the thing about a whip is a whip is not a very good weapon. It hurts if you get smacked with it, but it requires a lot of space, and you basically get to pop somebody once and then if you don't like take out an eye or or do something heinous they're going to come and they're going to beat you up while you've got the whip in your hand it's better as a he uses it as a tool to swing over a a pit um to brush off tarantulas and things like that i think for the character the whip really more so is the tool and then given the kind of stuff that he walks into it turns into a perfectly fine weapon to use a weapon of last resort obviously he'd rather use his pistol when it becomes serious right so yeah, and and I in the beginning here we had uh, an actor who's pretty known too. Well, he's moderately known, Alfred Malana, Malona, Molina, Molina, Alfred Molina. Uh, he's listed as playing somebody named Sat- oh I'm going to butcher this at Satapo, but you know what? They don't even say his name in the movie. I don't nope. think. No, you just you just treacherous guide would have been the today. We recognize him as oh that's Alfred Malona who happened to. 
have a future of not just um, dealing with these tarantulas on his back, but he got to fight Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 is Doc Ock. Also a memorable death scene. Yes, yes. Uh, Probably one of those gory scenes you were talking about. Yeah. As Indiana Jones scrambles and and saves his hat from the crushing door of doom, he gets up and there's Alfred, skewered through with spears because he didn't avoid that trap. Yep. Yep. Which again was believable. They had built up and showed that this, this tomb was lethal and it killed somebody so good on that but even as he reclaims the idol that he had given to this treacherous guide well then comes another iconic moment in indiana jones the boulder trap i've always seen that like uh when disney world would or whoever would advertise their come to disney world and see our disney stunt shows you'd always see the guy dressed as indiana jones running from that boulder and i'm like wow i want to see that not really realizing that was part of that movie um i think my stepbrother may have told me yeah that's in the first indiana jones movie and like i mentioned i didn't watch any of the, the, the first one until much later so yeah it's certainly an iconic moment and you know I mentally scramble to try to figure out any other scene in Indiana Jones that comes to the mind as readily. That whole opening scene is is some of the best. Um, you know, you have the the yeah you know, the heart pulling yeah. cage thing in part in two, part two, and I don't know, uh, throwing a guy out of the Hindenburg was certainly memorable. But <laughs> well, um, he landed on some suitcases, so he was okay. He survived. Yeah, okay. Uh, so anyhow, Indiana Jones gets the idol. He runs out through all the icky spider webs and everything, but he makes it out only to meet and establish his foil for this movie, a French archaeologist named Belloc, who is more treasure hunter, uh, person of fortune more so than archaeologist, it turns out. Yes, yeah, he's in it for the money. Yeah, he's amoral. Um, Not entirely, though. It would be easy to really despise him if all he was interested in was money. But he does profess a genuine concern for archaeology to a point. Oh, yeah. Okay. When um, he was worried about what the Nazis may do with the Ark, he was slightly He wanted to make sure he could study the Ark first to the... But, yes, uh, he, he had... This is another interesting thing. People who make movies pay attention. He had depth of character. Yes, he was the counterpoint to to Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, American archaeologist, has a heart of gold but a rough edge to him. Belloc, French, somewhat archaeologist, smug, had a smoother... You really didn't want to see Belloc in a fight. You have a suspicion. He'd probably get his tail kicked. Oh, probably. Yeah, but he's smarter and has he has connections that and and turns out friends of headhunters actually because indiana jones is surrounded by headhunters this becomes a common theme for indiana jones dealing with belloc belloc's always got his friends around him in this case they're headhunters that indiana jones can't talk his way out of to tell him how bad belloc is right right so you establish your uh one of your villains in this this first scene here first time moviegoer might not realize he'll pop back up again but also i you know and i, and I called belloc indiana jones's foil because quite honestly this becomes an interesting dance if you've seen the movies you know that the nazis are kind of an omnipresent threat until four when it becomes russians but we're not getting into that um i like part four fair enough i'm not <laughs> i'm not cutting it down yet i got plenty yeah. of time to do that the nazis are basically this backdrop this looming threat over whatever indiana jones does the belloc thing brings it personally 
because they've obviously clashed in the past. Mm-hmm. It seems like Belloc seems to get the get he, the win over like, Indiana Jones. It's more like often he than uses not. Indiana Jones to get what he wants, and then he manages to somehow get the item or object via what the, the hard work that Indy did versus what he did. And I think that goes back to his Indy that kind of does stuff on his own and Bella kind of uses the people on the side of him to, to kind of protect him, I guess. Right. And also, you know, he, he uses that leverage to let Indiana Jones do the hard work and then follows and takes the reward. Yes. Yeah. So Indiana Jones has to cough up the idol and then he gets to run away, running back to the hy- hydroplane. The OBCPO. That's the the plane number. Well, I, I didn't note that. So OBCPO, which is a, one of the Star Wars references that the many Star Wars references that are kind of sprinkled throughout the Indiana Jones films. Fair enough. And he's running back to his friend Jacques. Uh, Jacques, this is his one appearance in in this movie. Uh, is the pilot, and apparently also a friend of Indiana Jones, who comes running up, being pursued by a tribe of headhunters with poison arrows, who, despite the fact they probably should be fairly good with these things, can't seem to hit Indiana Jones. As is classic for pulp action. You don't want your mooks to be overly confident, otherwise Indiana Jones would have been absolutely skewered by, uh, you know, spears and poison darts. So Indiana Jones manages to get to the craft through Daring Do. He climbs up, even while he's being peppered at with all these darts and spears. Gets into the into the plane. They take off. Everything's successful until... There's a snake in the plane. Jacques has a friend. This is the original snakes on a plane. Oh, I never thought of that. Yes, absolutely. Mm. I, can you think of how much different this oh. would be if Samuel L. Jackson had been Indiana Jones? <laughs> I want this scene to be redone <laughs> for part six. No, part five, excuse me. Getting ahead of myself here. Part five, Sam Jackson could be the bad guy running into the airplane, and then there will be a snake in the airplane. And Do you think Indy could ever get over his fear of snakes? Or do you nope. think they'll, nope. Nope, he's One gonna... of the important things about a pulp hero is that they have to have a weakness, and it has, they have to stay too true to it. Mm. They can't overcome it, but the challenge can be getting past that enough to get to what you have to do, oh, which we yeah. see later on in this movie. Yeah. Uh, so they get away. Indiana Jones, we establish that he hates snakes. He hates them. This becomes a running thing with Indiana Jones. It's, again, central to his character and establishes a weakness to his character to make him more relatable and also to make him even more heroic when he eventually conquers his fear and progresses the story. This is another thing that a lot of modern movies don't do, is they give their heroes some sort of weakness that they have to get around. And is one of the reasons why Indiana Jones is so endearing as an action hero. Now, of course, you know, the good movies still manage to hit these kind of notes for character development, so... Modern good movies? Yeah. But then, we get back to more character development as we get back to the States and find out that, holy crap, not only can he... He's a professor. He is an actual, honest-to-goodness professor... Looks pretty good in the suit, too. Okay. I'll be honest. I actually, after watching this movie, I wanted to be an archaeologist when I grew up. Mm, it's true. What did I want to be when I grew up? I don't think, I didn't think anything ever crossed my mind with this movie. I no. wanted to be an archaeologist, and I wanted to also be uh, not only into ancient cultures, but I also loved dinosaurs as a kid. Mm, okay, okay. And all the plastic dinosaurs and everything. Yeah, I think Jurassic Park more so got me kind of fascinated with the digging dinosaur thing, but they went away pretty quickly. (laughs) Fair enough. So at the university, despite the fact we know that his students seem to really like him. Really, really, really like the girls. The the, the one wrote 
Did she write on her eyelids, I love you? Yes. And she's closing her eyes and it's distracting Dr. Jones. We know that his eyesight is really good because he can read what's written on her eyelids from up at the front of the class. So, again, <laughs> it's, it's important when you're an archaeologist. And then we get introduced to his friend Marcus. You know, and, and before the bell ring, I, I caught this too. The bell rings before the scene, before Marcus comes in. Mm-hmm. M- Marcus is standing by the door. All the people get up and Indy's doing, you know, you, you, know, you got need help come blah 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 or whatever or, i'll be in my office at these times and i noticed after watching all these girls going you know just like staring at him just smiling googly eyes whatever's going on there's that one male character that kind of walks up to his desk sets down an apple and walks out <laughs> i thought yes. that was funny it's, it's, it's subtle subtle yes. it's, it's subtle but it's, it's there and it's kind of adds to the situation where where even the the the, the male students <laughs> trying to would be not really suck up to him but but to show him respect i guess yeah it might be and 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 realistically too with pulp heroes sexiness is an element of their character um he doesn't really flaunt it i mean you can see elements of of his character but it's not like han solo where he just kind of oozes charisma a bit it's a bit more understated in this movie yeah um as a matter of fact, he does a pretty fine job of looking like a conceited jerk when he actually does meet up with the love interest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't necessarily go really well, but again, it's character development. Yeah. Um, so you were mentioning Marcus Brody, yes. played by Denholm Elliott. Again, I was familiar with this character from The Last Crusade before this one, and it was kind of bummed that his small role he had in this movie, but a... a an important role, I guess, a moderately important role for Indy. One of the interesting things about the Indiana Jones movies is their loyalty to smaller, lesser characters and keeping the world intact. Yeah. Marcus Brody, yes, becomes much more important in The Last Crusade and gets a lot more screen time. Uh, Same thing with another character coming up, Sala. Something the the Bond films... Bond films had their Qs, their Agent Ms that stuck around. Right. But whenever they had any other recurring character, like a Felix Leitner, always recast because they never wanted to take away from the actor that was playing Bond. They wanted it to be strictly that actor. And that, to me, for the Bond films, that kind of takes away the what you just mentioned about holding this this movie universe together because because mm-hmm. it's being it's kind of being done on purpose not not in a situation where an actor is unavailable now but but where the indiana jones films granted there's four movies versus 22 bond films uh, at least yeah but still the the indiana jones movies were gonna be consistent with their characters in in, in a believable way let's say well, the Bond movies are more modular. You can they can almost exist in a vacuum, you know, without the other ones. Yeah. For the most part, the Indiana Jones movies do tell complete stories that you could absorb. Mm-hmm. But what we like what we've learned with the Marvel universe, uh, when you connect these things, they form bonds that you can rely on and deepen the characters. You don't have to keep reinventing the characterizations. You have a connection, and that connection can be built upon then. We knew a little bit about Marcus from the very first introduction from Raiders of the Lost Ark, that he has a passion for archaeology, and he's a pretty good guy. You can kind of understand why, and he's also a tad sentimental, which is another part that you see in in the third movie. And these roots are built, crafted, 
in the very first introduction we get with him, which is a really nice touch. He's somebody making. He's somebody Indy looks up to. He goes to guidance, vice versa. They, you know, they're, they're they're friends. Yes, they're very very good friends. And Indiana Jones respects him. That's kind of an important thing because you know Marcus has played for laughs a bit. Uh, you know, in the third film, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, quite honestly, he's earnest, and there's a good reason for him to be there. So mm-hmm. he introduces him to. Army men, people mm. from the army who want to see Indy. This is where the plot of the story is laid out for us. Colonel Musgrove and Major Eaton. It's trivia about Major Eaton. He happens to be uh, Porkins from Star Wars. Porkins, Eaton's. Nice. Or if you're a fan of Batman, Lieutenant Eckhart. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think of the three movies that I just mentioned with this particular actor, William Hoopkins. If I'm pronouncing his name right. Yep. Hootkins, that's how I read it. Uh, I think the the small role he has in, in, the, in Raiders of the Lost Ark is probably the 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 I don't know, I don't know the Batman role is pretty good for him too. But I, mm-hmm. I I would say for Star Wars versus what he had for Raiders, he had a little more to do in Raiders versus you know I'm right with the Red Three or whatever the heck he. Says. I don't know having a having a good death scene is is a plus. I think a little more not uh, feather in your cap rather than just being the jerk army guy. Uh, well, in my viewing, I didn't really see him as really being too jerky. It's just their not job, that, I guess. Yeah, to a point. But, you know, as as is common, when you have a hero who is kind of used to working on his own and kind of a loner, they generally grade against uh, authority figures. Mm-hmm. So even though he's pretty respectful here, at the same time, while they understand that, yes, Dr. Jones is, is really good at what he does, it's pretty clear that they expect him to do what he's told to do. Yeah. And that really becomes to play at the end of the movie. We're not going to jump ahead. They're, they're, um, they bring Indy in. And um, Marcus to discuss Hitler's obsession with the occult. Yes. And religious objects. And they believe that Hitler is on his way to tracking to where the uh, lost Ark is. Which, from all accounts I've heard, and granted I haven't done a lot of personal research, but it sounds like it's patterned after uh, real life history. Apparently, there was an obsession with the occult in Nazi it, Germany, yeah, yeah. And this is just taking that and, and running with it. And of course, the item they're looking for is the Ark of the Covenant, the possibly mythological, possibly based on reality. It's kind of hard to tell. Ancient aliens reference again. It was a nuclear device. There we go. <laughs> do you, do you. But uh, it was a the you know the significance of it held the remains of the Ark of the Covenant from Moses' time and uh, made the ancient Judeans invincible in battle when they carried it before them uh, in a fight. So of course that would be something that Hitler would want for his own for his uh, Nazi forces. So of course the the United States we have to send somebody to stop this. And uh, he accepts. He's excited. Uh, he and Marcus have a nice moment in Indy's rooms where the gravity of the situation is is again amplified. Marcus gets sentimental. He's like, "This is this is a great crusade for yeah. stopping evil." And you know, the Ark is the and, greatest thing you've ever gone after. And then he talks about the power of the Ark and what it holds. And then Indy's like, "Marcus, I don't believe in that hocus pocus stuff." And and did he say voodoo or what did he all say? But basically he said he doesn't believe in the supernatural. Right. Which, which this is the part where after I've watched all of them at that point in time, I, I, I've seen Temple of Doom, Raiders and Last Crusade, not necessarily in that order, but the part about the Temple of Doom is technically a prequel because it takes place in like 1934. 
before and then and Raiders takes place like the following year after. So the Temple of Doom is the very first prequel where Indy in that movie has seen some supernatural stuff in that film. So although to be fair, the supernatural stuff in Temple of Doom is a bit more low key. Yeah, he saw him pull that heart out. Um I'm not sure, but it might be Man. possible for a person suitably strong to rip through still alive. Skin. Yeah, that and he also when they're hanging on the ladder was doing the whole like to get those stones to fire up just by what was he pra- praising Sheba or whatever he was saying? Oh, he was calling on Sheba to punish yep, the, yep. The, the the bad guy. They lit up fire, boom. So, so yeah, prequel prequels do that though apparently yeah but still it doesn't affect nothing with this movie because you still get the sense that indiana jones is just getting ready to do a archaeological journey even if he's not a true unbeliever we can call him safely a skeptic yes so fair enough and mostly this is to to thumb their nose at the at the nazis and get this before them so it becomes a race as much Mm -hmm. as anything but before uh indiana jones can go on his journey he needs a medallion that he believes um a former lover may have somebody um marion his um i guess they had a, a small fling when they were younger he worked with her father her her father was influential to indiana jones and he learned from him he, he was yes the, okay, yeah he was the protege of professor ravenwood right didn't share his passions which he saw as an obsession take notes because indiana jones does have issues with people being obsessive that comes back in three yes and so he then seeks her out in nepal uh which is a, a very uh snowy climate the wind and uh, i'm telling you, the sound effects in the background were all hoth noises i could hear the wind noises were the same sound effects they used for the empire strikes back nothing too surprising right. about that though same and, movie house and so you know he he goes to seek her asking for the medallion you know well, she, well now we get introduced to, to marion who, who deserves a bit of chatting up yeah because we we learn a lot about marion too um oh when we meet her as a character we're warned by marcus that they're not friendly mm-hmm. which certainly but what they the important thing that they establish right away with marion is that she is one tough customer she out drinks a man who's probably three times her weight in a drinking contest and runs the bar yeah so she doesn't, you know, if she passed out at this drinking contest, she probably would wake up and her bar would be empty. Yeah. But she dares to have this drinking contest with a huge man, wins, and still manages to run her place and, and keep a clear enough head to to keep going. She's not just, you know, a pretty face to be saved. She's pretty tough herself when mm-hmm. she needs to be. Uh, Karen Allen, that, the actress who plays Marion. Yeah. And, you know, she's, she's pretty enough. And uh, it becomes very clear that uh, when Indiana Jones comes in, that she's not happy with them. Right. Uh, they they were former, former lovers. Apparently that might have been the breaking point between him, between Indiana Jones and uh, Professor Ravenwood. Yes. And uh, they had a falling out and Indiana Jones went on his own and apparently was successful. Uh, But Marion never forgave him for that. And when Indiana Jones asks her about the medallion, he's very, he's channeling a lot of Han Solo there. He's got the mercenary thing down. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's not willing to budge even for a substantial amount of money, which could see her home back to the States. You know, $5,000 back in 1936 was not a small amount of money. Yeah, I've been been having fun 
fun watching some of these Christmas movies. Like It's a Wonderful Life, and each time they mention a dollar value to anything, I've been going to the inflation calculator to figure out how much they're talking about in today's terms, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of money. Exactly. So we also then, after she turns out Indiana Jones into the snow, we get introduced to more bad guys. Oh, yes. Uh, one of my favorite bad guys. He's very subtle. He's there, and he's not there. Um, oh, I can't find his name. Oh, the bad guy's name? Oh, uh, that's... Oh, uh, Thought. Is that how you say it? Thought? Um, Tote? Darn it. T-O-H-T. I don't think they even say his name either, but he's... They one... don't. You have to wait until the credits at the end. Yeah, uh, played by Ronald Lacey. Now, this 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 guy really took this image of a, a Nazi, like, just that creepy presence he has wearing the black the cape, the glasses. Um, he, you know, and apparently this actor shaved the top of his head bald, so he, you know, like he was a balding head, but the hair, um, you know, on the side of his head, just just the way he comes in with the presence, uh, and, and just asking for the medallion, and demanding the medallion, demanding actually. the med- yeah, demanding. He offers to buy it first, but she doesn't give, and then he lets her know that he's not taking no for an answer, and that's when Indiana Jones comes in to make the save. Just as horrible things are about to be done with her with a red hot poker. Mm-hmm. One of the nice things about him is the uh, the ability to or the uh, the ability to show that he's willing to be innovative and ruthless about persuasion. And he really emotes that he's prepared to enjoy it. Yeah. That's really where you start to get into real evil. It's not just that you have power. It's not just that you are, you know, willing to demonstrate that you do bad things. It's when you show how much you enjoy doing bad things. You, if, if he wasn't a member of the Nazi party, he'd be off somewhere probably being a serial killer. That's the, the feeling you get off of this guy. Yes. And it's it's carried off excellently. And of course, he's at the head of his own group of thugs, so uh, he has no problems, uh, you know, overpowering Marion. But then Indiana Jones comes in and saves the day, and an epic fight breaks out. A little a epic Great, fight. great bar Small fight. E. It was a great bar fight, yes. Absolutely. Um, Indy gets some shooting in. Never has to reload, which is great. Um, and that's, again, another pulp thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he ever empties his gun. Any movie I've ever seen. Indy? Yeah, I don't think so. It's, that's kind of a pulp classic thing. You never yeah. have to really reload. You know, that's probably something maybe if he did, we've never noticed. You know? I, I honestly can't. But, uh, you know, the, the fire fire logs get kicked over. Flames the start. The medallion flies around. Yep. Into, um, into a fire mess, which the character, the Nazi bad guy, reaches in to grab it. But it's hot, so it burns his hand, and he... Runs out like in a scene from Home Alone to get his hand in the snow to cool it off. Which yep. I wonder if that's where they got that idea from. Uh, wouldn't mm. wouldn't surprise me if uh, if they they, <laughs> they lifted that. Hey, remember that scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark? Let's have Joe Pesci grab the door handle and then. But in Indiana takes out most of the bad guys except Marion cudgels one with a bottle and she ends up shooting the last guy who is about to take out Indy. So she just, again, establishes herself as a capable sidekick to Indiana Jones' daring do. And they overcome the the obstacle. She grabs the medallion with a rag so she doesn't burn herself. Mm -hmm. She becomes his business partner. So they go off together to Cairo, where uh, once again we are introduced to another character, Salah. Salah. Now, John Reese Davies. Yes, John Reese Davies. Always a guy who who's great at chewing up a scene and, mm-hmm. and making it seem larger and grander uh, for him being there. 
And this is another wonderful thing about the Indiana Jones franchise. These are these establishing shots are showing that Indiana Jones' success is because he has this great network of all these people that he's seen off camera. The character is fully developed, fits into the world seamlessly, and these characters come through again and again. It's not just Indiana Jones wins because he's awesome. It's because he's well-connected and smart about things. Mm-hmm. He knows that by knowing a guy who's really good at digging and excavating in Cairo that could see him through in things in that part of of the world and uh, be a good resource to fall back on. Sala, as a result, fits in ideally with being able to help Indiana Jones in the situation. He seems exotic. He pulls through this bombastic, you are my friend and I will do anything to help you. Indy. Yes. And, uh, you know, again, becomes an instantly sympathetic character that you you like and you feel better when he's on the screen. John Reese davies was not their original choice for the character. They, really? They wanted um, Danny DeVito, but he was tied up with a taxi at time. He was tied up with something that prevented Danny DeVito from partaking in the film. And it turns into one of those happy accident things, like... Where it would have been nice to have DeVito in that role, but I don't think it would have been as good as John Reese davies I don't think it would have been worse. I think it just would have been a little different. It, different. Not saying it would be good or bad. It's just, it yeah. would be a little different. Almost in the same vein as Tom Selleck was originally signed on to do Indiana Jones, but his contract from Magnum P.I. prevented him from doing that. Yeah, which, again, would certainly have changed the timber and scope of, <laughs> of, the, uh, of the show and series. Yeah. But with Sala, Indy can now start working on finding the Ark uh, because Sala has been recruited, as well as every other excavator in uh, Cairo, to help the Nazis. Money talks, and honestly, they'll shoot you if you don't cooperate, so they they cooperate. And he tells him that Belloc is also involved, which Indiana Jones is not surprised at. Also, that somehow the Nazis have gotten a copy of the headpiece of the Staff of Ra, which... Marion is still running around with. Mm. Or no, Indy has it, I think, at this point. Uh, they're both, yeah. They, they share it. Yeah. That becomes important because uh, Sala offers to help Indy translate the writing on the staff uh, head. And we get introduced to a few other new characters who we learn not to like. Um, yeah, the... The, the evil capu- capuchin monkey! Yes. The most evil capuchin monkey you will ever see. Well, he's cute and cuddly at first. But, but he's a tattletale. He's a tattletale to a one-eyed Arab. Yeah. who is in the pay of the Nazis. Nazis. So, of course, uh, anyone with an eye patch in these kind of movies is usually evil. And, uh, yes, he uses the monkey to spy on Indiana Jones and company. All right, until next time, this has been Back to the Podcast with Dave and Rob. Thanks for listening, and make sure that you subscribe, and uh, when we come out with new things, you'll be the first to know. Thank you, and farewell.